Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to another Baseball America podcast. Thanks, Dave Slade, for the intro. I'm John Manuel. Matt Eddy and J.J. Cooper here today. Uh, Finishing a magazine, double issue. Uh, we're all a little taxed. Um, but we want to keep podcasting every day. And one of the items that keeps coming up as we get this magazine to bed is the CBA negotiations and some of the things that are being leaked out about the collective bargaining agreement. Great article on our website today, Tuesday, uh, for your Thanksgiving weekend reading by Ben Badler about uh, what could happen with the international draft. And Ben kind of lays out what I think actually is a provocative and I would say a better plan than, of course, all over the international negotiations, what could happen with the draft. But because rules and procedures fascinate us here as well, uh, one of the other items that keeps coming up, and Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports has tweeted about this the most that I've seen, guys, is potential for expanding the rosters. And, of course, this has to do – J.J. wrote about this uh, earlier in the week. Matt, don't run. But it has to do with the Rule 5 draft. It could affect the Rule 5 draft. And that would make it more likely for teams to draft – to be active in the Rule 5 if they had a 26-man roster. So we want to talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. um, on this podcast. And, Matt – um, and no, you, you really study that you handle the transactions for us. You study this a little bit more than the average bear does. Um, the 26 man roster. When I first saw that, I, I gotta admit, I was a little worried because all I could think of is some of these teams are going to have 10 guys in their bullpen, nine man bullpens all the time. And yep. does anybody want that besides the sons of La Russa? <laughs> it does open the door for the 14 man pitching staff and what we see in September with expanded Pitching staffs, expanded bullpens, see longer games, in, less inning pitching changes. Because that's really, if that you want to put a different pitcher in there to start every inning, no big deal. In inning pitching changes, game slows. Killers. So this would certainly encourage that behavior in the five preceding months to September. Right. And that's, so the trade off would be that you expand rosters to 26 all year, but in September, while there would still be a 40 man roster in terms of roster protection and protecting players in the offseason that you would not have the ability to have 40 players in your dugout at any time and available in that game at any time, right? That's the way I read that. Well, I think it's actually even also that there would be less players you're allowed to call up because the otherwise you're tra- the idea of this is is that you are trading service time. Like right. you are so yeah, you're not not just not allowed to have 40 players in your dugout. You're no longer allowed to even say I have these are the guys who are active today because they're still getting service time if they're on that theoretical yeah. taxi squad. So that that seems like one of the things they're trying to limit is service time. Matt. I mean, like we write about no, this all they're, the time. They're, it's just equal service time out. But they're trying. But we would have fewer players who would be getting it theoretically. Yeah, yeah you would. You would a have third, more players getting. You would more have more time. Right. But a lot fewer players getting any time. Talk about a headache and counting all those if the players are moving up and up and off the roster every other day in September. See, that's what I'm saying. Factor all that service time. That's going to be a challenge. Right. I'm saying I don't think I think what they're not talking about is not that there's going to be you can have 35 guys up and you can pick. It is something where it would be like you can have. I know there's an active component, but it'd be like you're only allowed to bring up five more guys. Again, this is something that has not been finalized yet. I was going to say because in September, where do you option players to who aren't active? Well, the point, I guess, uh, one of the things that worries me is I do like for teams that are out of it to mm-hmm. get more players' experience in September. I like that aspect. 
I guess I, I feel like it makes sense to limit the number of players available to managers. Because I think what we're all concerned about, all three of us at this table, is why on earth would we want to do something that would make the game slower? Because <laughs> that, that's the worry, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm all for, I mean, again, and I know that we will, you know, you could, if, you, if you disagree with this, and I'm sure there are some of you do, you know, you can hit us up on Twitter. You can send an email to podcast at baseballamerica.com. Uh, you know, Facebook slash Baseball America Mag. We'd love to hear from you. But the reality of it is, is I think around this table, all three of us agree, we want to do things that make the game, that make the non-action portions of the game less, not more. And the only solution I've seen out there that makes sense is limiting the number of pitchers on the active roster. I think it has to be 12 on the high end, I would say. But then that, that's difficult to do, though, because when you say limit pitchers, I, what, I, I mean, there's all these loopholes. Limit pitchers means I'm going to go find a Bruce Kieschnick. You know what? Which, which, I, which I would encourage. Yeah, exactly. But, that's fine. But, Do but, it. What, but what, is the, what is the cutoff? You know, like, okay, if I have a Zach Greinke type hitter who I put in my bullpen, but he hit, you know what I'm saying? You, it's, I, I think you have to limit it more from you're only allowed X number of pitching. You know, like, you're only allowed two pitching changes in inning or something during this game, something like that. I know that that affects the game more. Or you have to expand it to how many batters you have to face. There's but if you cap the number of total pitchers, that would encourage teams to find more more durable pitchers it would, in it general would, because you would be capped. Yes, if you had a cap of the number of pitchers on your roster, it would seem like that would dissuade teams from over-specializing in their bullpen. Yeah. You would carry a pitcher... A left-hander who gets left-handers out, left-handed hitters out well, but also can get right-handed hitters out more than you would get somebody who's exceptional at getting left-handed hitters out, but cannot get right-handed hitters out to save his life. Guys with more extreme splits would be eventually. I I don't think that guy's going back in the bar. Javier Lopez. I think he's here to stay. Or that style of pitcher. The other way you could do it is the Dodgers could say, you know what, we're gonna have. Yes, the first nine guys on our roster, pitcher-wise, those guys are just staying there. But you said I have to have only could have twelve active. I'm gonna have ten options for those three spots. I'm fine with that. And then, so basically, I'm gonna use these guys for this four days, and then I'm gonna send them out. And I can't bring them back for ten days, but I'm bringing in wave two, and then I'm bringing. In, so what I'm saying is, is that like where I'm gonna have essentially a fifteen-man bullpen still even with you doing that. I guess the thing that, the, the main uh, impetus for this appears to be, let's play the season from April through September on equal footing so that games that matter in April and matter in September toward the pennant race, they both matter equally. But in these games in April, everyone has 26-man rosters. In these games in September, everyone has a 26-man roster versus in April, both teams have 25 and in September, one team has 31 and one team has 36. That seems to be the impetus of, the, of for wanting to make changes is let's have games in September in the pennant race right. not be decided because this team has three pinch runners and 15 guys in the bullpen. Like that, and that's but, that seems like a good goal what, to get to. Mm-hmm. I know? think you also run the risk of being just too reactionary. This really has not right. been a problem for a perceived problem in baseball for very long. And, I th- and the tradition might outweigh what we perceive as a short-term problem. And it's all because you might have the you know, un, uh, what's the word I'm looking unintended for? Consequences. Unintended consequences. Okay. Well, what I was going to say was just that 
I, if that is the argument they're making, I think that, I'm not saying you're making, but I think it's a terrible argument because that is something, that is something where one team is choosing to not right. compete fully. You could expand to 36 and you're not. That's something where if it is because Team A, and I know Team A's in and Team B's not, but Team A is trying as hard as they can and Team B's not, that's a bad argument to me for why to get rid of this. If the argument is, is that it changes the game too dramatically, where, as you said, April through August, you are playing a game where you don't get to make 11 pitching changes and four pinch runners, and then in September we completely change the game. That, to me, is a better argument from the standpoint of you are making the game an artificial game almost in September. But the competitive balance part of it, the reality of it is, is some teams are cheap and some teams aren't. Right. Because well, it doesn't have anything to do with that, though, to me. I mean, like, that's, I mean, like the, whether the team is cheap or not, it is the fact that you're playing games that both matter in the schedule, but they're managed completely different. I don't think you can manage a 38-man roster that much differently than 31. That's really not that big of a difference. But you can manage 30-plus a lot differently than you can manage 25. That's my point. Yeah. I wasn't trying to bring out, like, oh, the years where the Expos only call it 26 <laughs> because then they'll be random. And, that, the, and the thing is, like, in all sports, this is not just a peculiar yeah. problem to baseball. In all sports, you have teams that tank and teams that, at the end of the year, it happens all the time. J.J. used to follow the NFL a yeah. lot more than you do now. But there are a lot of times where a team needs to win to go to the playoffs – and the other team has already clinched. And guess what? Hey, we're not playing John Elway today. We're not playing Peyton Manning today. Mm-hmm. I remember those guys got sad all the time. Mm-hmm. The year where the Colts were 13-0 and and then benched Manning the last two or three games and lost those games, lost their momentum. So these controversies happen in the other sports. But they still always have a 53-man roster mm-hmm. in that NFL team. <laughs> and the NBA still always has five guys on the field. They're still, you know, those kind of things. But in baseball, it is different when you – you can manage a game very differently if you have 25 guys versus if you have 32. So I think really that's I think that's really the issue is that those games in April matter the same as September. Why would we play all those games differently? So I, I, that actually I think is a smart – that's good to try to change that, but it does seem like there could be overreach where why don't you just say, okay, in September you can carry up to 40 guys on your roster, but that day – you have to. I would even say it wouldn't be that day. Maybe you could say this week, you got to name your twenty-five guys, and you can replace somebody for injury. But for this week, here's your twenty-five guys. If you want to change out next week, you can do that. But it seems like the set, don't forget to set your fantasy lineup. Basically, <laughs> yeah. but it seems like again, you want the games that are played in the same hundred sixty-two game schedule to be played with something like the same rosters. Because it would be very different if the last month of the NFL season, hey, you know what, go crazy, have 70 guys. You would see an army of fresh dudes on special teams and all these yes. kind of things, and it would change things oh, significantly. And that, no. that's, that's, what I, and that's what they're trying to change. And so, again, I just think they should remedy – their remedies should fit the problem, not other aspects like, oh, we can save a little money here too by reducing service no. time. That seems. That just seems like not the kind of. I guess it goes back to the old argument economically that when your times are good, that's when you should have some economic austerity. And that's what MLB is trying to think. Hey, times are good. Let's have a little austerity now, and maybe that, maybe that's what they're thinking is. I, I don't think so, but. But you just hit on a thing that I also find interesting. We're talking about the new CBA that they're wrapping up, that they hopefully are wrapping up. Uh, the other thing that's interesting to me is you mentioned about how there's always tanking in, in all sports. And I do think in baseball, I don't think tanking in baseball is this massive problem. Right. 
I, I this is not the NBA where the NBA has a massive tanking problem where you have teams that literally their plan is we are going to try to be as bad as we can be for the next three to four years. Yes. Because they're all, that's the only way we can get good. We'll do, we're going to do one thing well, and that's design uniforms. I'm looking at you, Philadelphia 76ers. Their uniforms are awesome. I but, love their uniforms. But that being said, the law of unintended consequences, we have seen that the format of the current CBA that we are that, mm-hmm. the, that MLB mm-hmm. is wrapping up since 2011. In, since 2011. Right encouraged in some way tanking incentivized incentivized it yeah incentivized it in a way that did not exist before yep and the interesting thing is is that and maybe this is something that MLB looks at this and says we are we are okay with that because if you look at that that incentivized tanking or losing or whatever you call it has actually worked out pretty well because it ensures this rather healthy churn right. that these teams, yes, they're, they're terrible, but then they're playoff teams. And right now we do, like if you talk about a situation where right now a, a reasonably well-run team that goes through that cycle with two wildcard teams should have a pretty good shot of making the playoffs. Right. Five years, four or five years down the road. I mean, who hasn't made the playoffs since wild card? Everybody's made. The Every team game. has made the division series. Um, the Pirates are own one. Right. Or, wait, no, the Pirates are. Yes, own yeah, one. Pirates are own one. Nationals are own three. Every other team has won a division series. That's amazing, mm-hmm. and that's just in twenty years, twenty-one years, yeah. right? Since Correct. So, so again, from that standpoint, I understand the argument for why you would say, "No, we don't need to change that system." And but again, do you guys from, think it's it okay? Comes, it comes again from a reactionary move by Major League Baseball, which was a commissioner who, from nineteen seventy-seven, start a free agency through the early nineties. What the the Blue Jays were the first team to repeat since the Yankees, seventy-seven, seventy-eight. Blue Jays, ninety-two, ninety-three. That period, with free agency, which everyone said, oh, the big markets are going to rule people, the, the owners were so afraid, that period was actually the most competitive balance hmm. in Major League history. And now after that, the only thing that wasn't competitive balance but the late 90s was that the Yankees were excellent. And it wasn't, and the Yankees spent more later and no, won less. I, I will say, though, that I do think that the luxury tax threshold did a, did, did a significant job of kind of keeping the haves from completely running roughshod over the have-nots more. I would say that, yeah, but also... Even the, Yankees, general, even the Yankees were like, we're not going over that again this year. Right, but also, that, that but also the general, I mean, like, how much of that would have changed if, if George Steinbrenner had been at a different point in his life? You know, <laughs> and, and that, that's a big factor. People yeah. change, but also what? just the general health of the industry changed. But still, Bud Selig listens to I mean, he used to be on Mike and Mike all the time. He listens to talk radio. He listens to national media. And the national media keeps saying baseball has the least competitive balance of all the sports, which has always been BS. I'm looking at UMBA for the least competitive balance. And the NBA is – I mean, so, so he, he bought, I think, I think and owners did, into this myth of the lack of competitive balance in baseball. And I think did some things – I'm not saying they haven't worked – but there is a little, I thought, overreaction toward competitive balance. And that's one of the things that Ben argues about with the international draft. Is it competitive balance to give some the bad teams, is that by incentivizing losing, is that more fair by giving the bad teams bigger draft pools? Would it be more equitable to give all the teams here? You have the same draft pool and you have the same international bonus pool. Now go out, scout each other. 
that actually would be, I think, competitive balance-wise, that's just more, that's more equitable. That is a fairer deal. I think what we have now is a little bit of an overreaction, and that's what incentivizes tanking. I think it's, I think it's an overreaction to the belief that baseball had less competitive balance. But, but I do look at it right now and say, I, I think of the, ni- the mid-90s, the mid to late-90s actually more as more of an issue than you do. I would say the issue was the reaction to the strike. But, and losing a World but, Series, but not just, because of the Yankees' dominance. But it wasn't just the Yankees' dominance. We don't talk about the Braves being dominant because the Braves, you know, we don't think... But was that bad for baseball, that the Braves were no, good no. every year? But what I'm saying is, is that... Is it, why is no, it I do think, I think it's just, better for baseball. I think it's better for baseball. Other leagues which, have super teams and I it's think, good for them. I think it is better for baseball if you do not have a team like the Pirates, who admittedly right. was poorly run at times, but at the same time... There was a stretch. The Pirates had a a top-notch team built together, and there was not revenue sharing it the same way at the time. Correct. And they had, and they, and it all fell apart. Right. But was that because the Pirates were because of the economics of the league, or is that because the owners did not know how, could not decide how to share their money? So again, how much of this would have changed in two thousand one? You had obviously you had nine eleven, so that mm-hmm. precluded a labor. Uh, stoppage, thank goodness for mm-hmm. the labor stoppage, but the worst possible reason for it. But um, you also had the nascent beginnings of MLB Advanced Media, this giant pile of shared money that the sport just didn't have. Mm-hmm. So again, I just think, I happen to agree with Ben on this one, and I, I think it's what you're talking about. There's a little overreach, a little overreaction to the problem. I'm not saying that there wasn't a problem of competitive balance. Competitive balance was less in the 90s than it had been in the 80s. It was not as robust. But you still had, I mean, like the Pirates are a great example. But I still think those teams could have competed, especially in the late 90s. The way to compete would have been go all in on the draft. Because the money was, I mean, you, you have to, you, that's what the analytics would have told you if well, teams were doing analytics. Would the pre-draft era be kind of a place to look when everybody... That's that the worst, was the that's, least competitive that's balance the worst competitive card. Balance. That's what, that, that's what the that draft. argues almost so in, in favor that, of a draft. Right, yeah, the that, draft is what created the, the draft, the end of the Yankee dynasty, because they were basically slow to integrate, and the draft. Those two things created this period of incredible competitive balance in Major League Baseball from like '65, particularly in America, through '93. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you had you had three dynasties, I guess, maybe maybe four. You had the A's. And so, are dynasties bad for baseball? It's not, I, no, no. It's I not, think, you're focusing on the dynasty. The dynasty is not the problem. No, the problem, not really. But, I'm just, I'm just, but, I'm just one example. But the dynasties are not the problem nearly as much as the teams that are terrible for 25 years. Right. Because those kill, like, and we, and that's where pre-draft, pre-draft. But there's really only a couple teams that were really bad for that long and that is not, the, that was not the system. I'm sorry. The, the Pirates having all those losing seasons. The start of it was the system. The continuance of it was not the system, I, I think. And the same thing for the Royals. Yeah, the Royals but again, but you yeah. are talking about in the old revenue sharing and the shared money has made it much more. But there was a stretch there where in the late 90s and just at the start of this century where even a well-run team in those situations Nowadays, teams can afford their free agents. You mean like the team that was almost contracted, but then did become well-run and won six division titles in ten years? That was the Twins. Small market, terrible stadium. Oh, but that's it. No, the night, the late, but that wasn't the late nineties. It was the late nineties, and then they figured it out. 
Yeah. Like I'm so, saying, no, the late 90s, though, <laughs> were when teams could not afford. They would trade away, in most cases, the smaller revenue teams would trade away their free agents at year five. Right. Now they re-sign them because they have more money. For the most part. Matt, you, we need to let you go, but... Um, so where do you, was, what, were there some creative things they could do with um, a bigger, with a larger roster? Is there, is there some something positive and creative teams could do? Oh, I, I think if you if you made teams use that for a position player, I think there's a lot of creative things. You could see more platooning, which mm-hmm. I do think is not a bad thing. Um, you could see pinch runners, which I love pinch runners, like defensive replacement slash pinch runners. The you return think, of the potential utility infielder, something that what, was dis- disappeared. Right. So. What if you win 26-man roster and National League DH? <laughs> I mean, Matt, you're, you, you wrote a big thing about the DH this year. Would that make the National League more interesting? Would a team's, you know, in your mind? Would, I mean, it, would change, it would change the way all those organizations operate and the way they profile players, I would think. I well, mean, the argument <laughs> that the people who oppose the DH have is that, it, that the DH makes the game less interesting. So... Uh, I don't know how I would approach it. I, I, I think it would be a better game if... if. <laughs> I mean, naturally, the Mets would let Syndergaard hit. You know, I mean, he's, I could hit. But, yeah. I, p- pitchers are just automatic outs. I don't know if we, if we want to rehash this, but maybe if you see the return of the third catcher if you had an extra roster spot. Right. Might be interesting. More teams would adopt the Cubs model. You'd have, like, a flex third catcher. Might be kind of fun. You could, it goes to JJ's utility infielder, I think, point. But if you could, you could have... A player like we've been discussing this week as we're talking about prospects. You have a player like a Josh Morgan with the Rangers who's thinking about you know, the Rangers put him in catcher at Instructional League. Austin Barnes, mm-hmm. uh, originally with the Dodgers, he's with the Marlins now, right? I forget who he's with the Dodgers. To. He's with the Dodgers he's from the Marlins. Marlins to the Dodgers. Um, you know, these kind of players, you know, like, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Eli Marrero, yeah. guys who could catch as a third catcher. I just saw in the Blue Jays org report Andy Burns with the Instructional yes. League to learn to catch. That would be incentivized. Being creative, like the Brooks Keishnick kind of player, a pitcher who hits or a hitter who pitches. But those by, he was I, I would, mostly, the, he's mostly a be, position player and a mop-up pitcher. But the thing about it is, is when we're talking about that, though, actually incentivizing for this, and it won't happen, is not to go 26, it's to go 24. 24. <laughs> because Indie Ball has 22, 21, 22 player rosters, and they have much more value of an outfielder who can... He doesn't have to be a great pitcher, right. but pitches enough that... Okay, we're down by five. We bring him in instead of using one of our precious. I mean, that's where the also, game, you're not going to have it. But if you wanted to be radical, Matt, what would if you said instead of going to 26, if you said we're going, and you don't, and you do restrict somewhat player movement back and forth. You can't turn a 23-man roster into a 30-man roster because you just keep shuffling guys from AAA to the big leagues. If you actually did cut it back. Would that? It's not going to happen because the union is no, never right. going to do that. But would that actually make things way more creative? That's interesting and, and that, better that, because you would take away bullpen pitchers. That is fascinating, and it would also open the door for more Madden shenanigans with the pitchers. Travis Wood playing left Travis field. Travis Wood scenarios, it which would be, be not necessarily a better game, but a more interesting one. Right. I mean, like <laughs> I mean, like you see this happen. I mean, again, I'll go to the NFL where they didn't necessarily make it a better game, but they made it a more interesting game by moving. Uh, extra points back. Yes, and that's all they're talking mm. about is how many extra points are missed now, mm. and how many and all the kickers' confidence is all shot. They all need safe spaces to go to something. We, JJ and I were talking about earlier this week. All the kickers' confidence are shot. They're all softies. Um, I need to have more empathy for kickers. Um, but I guess another part of that I'm fascinated by is I think what we're, what we're all saying that I like the platoon idea too, where the expanded roster would give you more chances to platoon. But I think we're all 
we're all arguing in favor of few, smaller bullpens, but it seems that the trend is toward more bullpenning because, to use yes. because Brian it's Kelly's, effective. Because That's right, and it's effective in a way. The problem is, is that so it's going to take a rule change to stop it. It's going to take a rule change to stop it because the problem is, is that the mm-hmm. most effective way to win a baseball game is not necessarily the best baseball product. Right. That's I mean, right. Because as we get better and better bullpens and more point. and more bullpens, we don't want it to be something where the game of baseball is not better if the sixth through the ninth takes two hours right. and never no one ever comes back. Yeah, exactly. The worst scenario is got a one-run lead, that's a 95% chance that they're going to carry it for the final four. And by the way, it's going to take two hours to play. Hey, you're going to come, buy a ticket to this game. You only really need to stick around for the first two hours anyway because the last hour, if one team has a lead, forget it. <laughs> right. Yeah, but and, again, and who wants to see the guy come in there and your third best reliever come in and pitch the seventh inning? I mean, like, time to bounce. And you're going to you see know? a walk or a strikeout. Hochaver, exactly. Yeah, the ball's not going to be play, but No singles. But And the thing about it is, is that you... That can only be done by rules changes because a rules change is fair to everyone that basically says, yes, we're going to force you to use a less optimal strategy. If you take away the rules change, teams are going to go with the team's goal is not to put the best, most entertaining product on the. If you can have a, a lineup that basically had walks, HBPs, and home runs, and never actually put the ball into play in the field, but you could win that way, they do it. Exactly. Even if it would be the most boring product to watch ever, because that's not their job. No, their job is, uh, even though they're in the entertainment industry, that's not how they act. So, But it's, because it's not. I mean, even though they're in the entertainment industry, but you have to put rules in to do it because they're not hired to be entertaining. They're hired right. to win games. That's right. It's not art for them. Like uh, they're not hired to make Smiths records. They're they're hired to make hit records. So um, Matt Eddy has the bounce, but uh, JJ, uh, you have Rule Five fever. I waited for Matt to close the door. Uh, you have Rule Five fever. I do agree that this would make it more likely to draft Rule Five players and for them to stick. And I think also if you had a 26-man roster and you just didn't restrict it. Do you think that would change the kind of Rule 5 player that gets drafted? Do you think that teams would draft lower-level players more often? Some of these, like you, you were talking about, like, and, and you and Matt were talking this week, the guy who's like the fourth or fifth-year Latin American player who spent two years in the DSL, maybe a year in the GCL, and has been in, maybe has gotten the full-season ball but hasn't gotten a Let low Let me give you the prime example. Yes. I know Julian Fernandez. All right, that's for the— Julian Fernandez with the Rockies. Right hand with, with the Rockies. Julian Fernandez is, there is zero possibility that he can be an actual productive member of a big league staff in any significant role (laughs) in 2017. He walked 7.8 batters per nine in short season ball this year. I believe, as Ice Bear would say, that's not what you want. That is, it is not something where if you brought him in (laughs) and handed him off to the manager. Somehow got 13 saves. How'd that happen? You hand him to the manager and say, here's your new pitcher. By the way, when we're doing this first week where the when the pitchers are getting loose and I throw them BPs to guys, yeah. don't let him throw BPs exactly. to guys. Only let him throw a BP to non-40-man roster yes. players. Yes. <laughs> but he throws 102, 103, and it's lively. So he's basically the Tiago Vieira of the Rockies organization. Yes. And I understand completely where you would leave that guy off because in a rational world, 
you would say they maybe someone will pick them. They can't keep them. 26-man roster may change that, though, because if you are a team, let's take the Twins, for example. Yes. Who, I know the, the difficult thing right now is, is I'll throw it for you this way, because I'll, I'll throw this question to you. Which teams are fully tanking, or call it if you want, are non-competitive in any way in 2017? Well, the first two teams I think of are the Reds and the Brewers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might be trying to bounce back a bit, but I don't see. But neither any team has attempt. any hope of winning the playoff, making the playoffs. Right. Whereas I think you know the Braves. I see the, the Braves were in full tank mode and then decided this is too much. No. Well, I think no. I think actually what happened for them is is that they're moving in a new stadium, so they want some momentum there. Right. And they had a great second half. But you also but the thing is that I think well, when they fired Freddie Gonzalez, I think the problem with tanking that major league teams are finding is it's very hard to tank and to try to build a winning culture. And you hear that talk throughout baseball. Josh Norris did a story on this uh, in the minor league level. I think it's hard to do. To I, I think you have to have some. You can have a, a year where maybe one year. I don't think it's good to go two years in a row where you're not even trying. I think that even the Astros they have the bad years, but they won like 70 games that one year. And 70 games isn't much, but when you've been winning 54, 70 games feels pretty stinking good. So you have to, like you said, you have to have you a little upward momentum. Mm-hmm. And the Braves had that. So the Twins, I just think it's a completely funny and sad for Twins fans and ironic that we had so many teams that were quote-unquote tanking this year, and yet a team that sniffed the playoffs in 2015 and came in at 2016 with expectations and ran, had, right on had ran away with the worst record in baseball. Ran away with it. The only team to lose more than 94 games, I think. And the other thing is, is while these other teams, like as bad as the Reds were. 98 the, games, I guess. More than the that. Reds, as bad as the Reds were in the first month of the season, by the end they were better. As yes. bad as the Braves were, and they were awful. They were a lot By the better. end they were better. And that's better. what, but but again, if you're, but you talk to these teams, if you're talking about a team like the Braves, and you got a 20... The selling job to a manager to me, especially in this year one, if you are selling to a manager, hey, you're going to operate with a 25 man roster yeah. this year. That's not that. That's not a hard sell. That's not a hard shit because at all. I did that last year. Right, exactly. You know, this guy, you can throw him in there. You'll have a blowout. We're not going to be a very good team, probably. You're going to have a blowout every week or two where he can go in there. And yes. He's going to go in there, and essentially it's like he's carrying a, a, a jug of kerosene out there. <laughs> and what was his, you know, Wei Chung Wang's ERA, the year that the Brewers 10. carried him from the GCL and carried him on the big league roster as little as they could. 17 innings, if I remember correctly, in the big leagues. I think you're right. 10.80 ERA. It was awful. It's easier to do that for 26 versus the 25. And I do think that there are teams out there who felt like they had to protect a guy or two more. Right. Because the, I, I remember a few years ago talking to guys with the Rays, and it's like telling them the day before the draft, hey, you're going to lose Oscar Hernandez. And they're kind of being a, how are we going to lose Oscar Hernandez? Low A, there was no, there right. was no precedent for a low A catcher. Because teams only carry two catchers generally. Right. If you carry two catchers, you don't want one of your catchers to be a low class A to the big leagues catcher. Unless. Unless you don't have an actual catcher on your roster either. Unless you you think that Peter O'Brien is a catcher. 
Hey, we can carry three because O'Brien can hit. No. See, Peter O'Brien is much more likely to play in a 26-man roster and be in the big leagues than on a 25-man roster. Because on a 26-man roster, you can find someone that he could catch for six innings for. You're going to get stolen bases, but you're going to find one starting pitcher who doesn't throw 95 on your roster well, again, that he might be able to handle. And especially because you're talking about him, it's like, okay, he'll play a little first, he'll play a little outfield, he'll play, you know. You... Right. Now, but here, again. So those players, the, the, Jake Fox is at home listening to this podcast and thinking, this is too late for me. No, he's not. He had a great year in AA last year at Reading. He's like, yeah, he's like 35. Yes, he's still got a chance. I'm not um, dead yet. Yes, you um, but, uh, but I do think the other thing that I find fascinating with the Rule 5 draft this year, especially if it goes expanded 26-man rosters, which we still don't know. We don't and know. we also don't know. We may not know when the Rule 5. The really odd part about this is. is well, Worst-case scenario, what happens if we're at the winter meetings and in the midst of these CBA negotiations that are still dragging on, they say, you know what, we're at an impasse. No Rule 5 this year. We just, we, uh, we just don't can't agree on the rules. What happens if December 7th, the day after the Baseball America Gala, it's a day that lives in infamy and there's a work stoppage in the middle of winter meetings and no Rule 5? There will be a work stoppage. There won't be a work stoppage. But the, the, the no Rule 5 is enough to basically depress me for a that long was, time. You, you just look like uh, Ralph Wiggum there for yeah, a second. Yeah, you could see my heart breaking right there. You know, I mean, it, No. <sighs> I, I mean, I didn't want to think about that possibility. Yeah, but, um, but it is possible... Very possible. I mean, the deadline's supposed to be to have a new one December 1st. Mm-hmm. It is very possible that we could be having the Rule 5 draft under the old rules. Right. And then there being this uncertainty of maybe you're going to have a 26-man roster. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going to have a 25. But the fascinating part with this is that I – and I thought this would be the case. And as I start pulling through, there's a 12-man appetizer preview – at baseballamerica.com. That's the catnip. That's the catnip. I'm going to do a 75, 85, 100 player preview for subscribers. Um, you know, that's coming. But as I put that together, what does stand out is, is that I've talked many times in past years with pro scouting directors and all that. I've talked, done stories about, you know, how when you're trying to assemble a bullpen, especially if you're not you're not talking about your assembly of bullpen is like okay well Chapman's going to pitch the ninth and this guy's going to pitch the eighth when you're trying to find every team now uses 15 20 pitchers in their bullpen over the course <laughs> of a least, year yeah and so when you're talking about that there's scouting involved in it there's player development involved in it and all that but there is also a part of okay what we're going to do is is you bring in 25 guys to spring training and five of these are failed guys who used to be good and they're not good anymore and you find out they're not good anymore and you let them go right and another five are guys who got good arms but have never put it together maybe as minor league starters and you got them as a minor league free agent or something like that and you hope that one or two of those turns out and another couple guys the the pirates usually do this where their indianapolis bullpen will have Three or four guys who throw 97, 98, and their hope is is one of those right. guys turns into Archimedes Caminero that year. Right. For one year. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and it, all you care about, yeah. Exactly. And, it's, and it is a matter of like... There's a, such a disposability to those middle relief. You're, and there's, there's a, a certain amount of you throw them out there, and if they spontaneously combust, you 
clean up the ashes and you put another one out there. They're the drummers for Spinal Tap. Yes, they are. Yeah. And so, but the point about being is, is that there's so much velocity in the game now that if you look at this Rule 5 eligibles, and you can go a different path. If you want to go with the pitchability guys, mm-hmm. Alejandro Chassin is an example of this. The guy who's put up good numbers everywhere he's pitched, basically, for the Reds. Was available last year, didn't get picked, but he hadn't pitched in Double A yet. Pitched in Double A this year was good. Like Eleven. Who's the, who's the Joe Biagini basically is what you're looking for? The well, I'm saying like a good minor league starter, but not special, not no separating pitch. Mm-hmm. And then that guy who in the bullpen maybe did it picks up a little bit. Yeah, yep. exactly. So you have those guys. You have again, if you go that way, you've got the DJ Baxendales of the world who. You know, who could be fine for you. T.J. Baxdale, who like one day wishes he could be Josh Tomlin. Right. That's what he wants to be. Or even... If only a, I threw harder, I'd beat Josh Tomlin. But the flip side of this is, is there's so much velo in the game now that if you say, if you as a front office say to your pro scouting staff, find me a really good arm that there's a chance, there's just mm-hmm. a chance that we can bring him in and there'll be enough there for him to be useful for us and again, and it may and it may be a disaster. Let's just take the Astros as an example of a front of a big league team whose basically issue on its pitching staff is lack of velocity. I mean, they they right. still lack it on their big league rotation, and they valued it so much in their bullpen that they traded four players to go get Ken Giles. Five was it five guys for Ken five Giles? guys for two. They got because they oh, yeah. they traded a ruse for a ruse. Right, that's right. Um, but uh, but. Well, and they in the Rule 5, you go back, didn't they, Josh Fields? Wasn't Josh Fields their Rule 5 pick a few years ago? A few years ago, yes. Which Josh Fields fits exactly this always wild, really through heart. Right. But there are so many guys. I, I'm at about 10 guys, 9 or 10 guys, who touched 100 this year who were Rule 5 eligible. Um, if you said, let's cut the bar to throws regularly 94-plus in the bullpen, mm-hmm. Or starters who can plausibly throw 94-plus in the bullpen? 30, 35, 40? How many probably, did you say we're throwing 100 who were available for this? 12? That's what said 10. I've got 10 right now. Yeah, that was 12. That was but 10. 10 guys who threw 100. Now, I'm not saying they sat 100. Julian Fernandez we just right. talked about. Right. Literally, if you said, I need you to sit 100, they probably could do it. But... There's a lot of guys available who threw 100. Some of them have very little idea of how to pitch. Some of them have very little idea of a secondary pitch right now. But, again, if you say, I mean, the reality of it is, is, and I know that there are people listening to this who do want to say it's all about pitching, it's not about right. velocity. In big league bullpens, yeah. the first thing is, is is velocity. There are a lot of guys of these guys that we're talking about who don't really pitch because you're not pitching. You're going out there. For 15 pitches, and you're letting it blow. And what I'm saying is, is that if you have 26-man rosters, that's one of the ways that you could use that, is to say, you know what? We know this guy will not be a real big contributor to us in 2017, but he can pitch well enough to stick around. Right. And by 2019, where he'll still be a... Six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollar player. He might be really valuable exactly. for us. And it seems a lot easier. Hector Rondon was a Rule Five play. pick of the Cubs, and look at—I mean—he developed into what they hoped he would develop into. Right now, you're again, you're not going to—you're going to flame out on those guys more than you're going to hit. But you're talking it's a fifty thousand dollar gamble, really twenty five if you offer the guy. Yeah, that. exactly, and that's the thing. No big deal. So JJ, last thing for this podcast, then we'll go. Um, 
you, you were just talking to me the other day. There were two great Rule 5 anecdotes. So the Rule 5 draft used to be called just the draft. So what was the first year of a Rule 5-ish draft? So the ni- 1903, the National Association basically formed. Okay, and I'm, That's I, not on Wikipedia, by the way. <laughs> so the here's my... Under, I mean, again, this is off the top of my head, but I've researched this way too much. I trust that you... So... I mean, the draft came about because, at, you got to remember, this is before farming, as they called it at the time, farming was illegal. Right. If you were a major league team and you needed a player, you went out and purchased or traded with a minor league team to get that player. Right. And the minute that player was not able to help you on the big league roster, you then had to sell the contract of that player to a minor league team that could use him. There was no, he needs more seasoning. Right. Again, yeah. those were entirely separate entities. How big were those big league rosters back then? 20? Yeah, they were small. Yeah. But again, also you only needed like five pitchers. So right, exactly. Help. But and a backup catcher may play, you know, in case of the uh, gangrene for, you know, or uh, gout for the uh, starter. But, uh, or typhoid, I guess. But, um, but so... But it wasn't just that that was their farming. Was, so you had to have some way to move guys to the big leagues. Because the reality is, is also, remember, at the time, if you were a good minor league team, you might decide, you know what? Yeah, this guy's good enough to play in the majors, but he's yeah. really good for us. We don't want to give him up. Yeah. But it wasn't just that. You also had the bigger minor league leagues wanted to have player movement to be able to get players from the lesser minor league right. leagues. And so the PCL this, was looking for players. So this was levels. set up. So that each league, each team could only protect a certain number of players. And after that, you had to then allow the other players to be essentially, okay, we're going to pay you $8,000 and then we get this player. Right. And that was the rules of it. So that's why today you still have the AA and AAA phase. That are, stems they, back from a hundred and plus years ago. They are truly like uh, you know, vestiges of a bygone era. And so that was generally the idea. That went on for years. And it was just the draft because there was no other draft. But Frankie Frisch, you said, mm-hmm. was a Frankie Rule Frisch. 5 draft pick? And now my favorite part of this is is that they also, I mean, it was designed for minor league movement. Right. It was a way to move players through the minors. And but not they, just players. Right. And then there was also a provision that allowed umpires to be ruled, well, again, drafted. It wasn't a Rule 5, just drafted. Right. Doug Harvey was an extremely astute draft pick the PCL plucked him kind of amazing because they saw wow this guy's a really good umpire and they brought him up to the PCL and the next year he moved on to the major leagues but there were umpires drafted in the draft not the rule but the what now is the rule 5 draft but then the owners did try to use the draft to they got very upset about bon- the spending on bonuses on amateur talent in the uh, 50s especially. And you had the bonus baby provision. Everyone who's listening to this, or most people listening to this, probably understand, which is there was a rule of time. If you paid a guy over this much, you had to put him on your major league roster for the next two years, even though he wasn't ready for the majors. Sandy Koufax being probably the most prominent example of a guy who just had to... And Sammy Koufax, um, Tigers... Uh, a few. So, uh, Al-Kaline, right? Al-Kaline, another example. Who, by the way, was ready, was the impressive thing. Right, right. Um, so you had that. 
Well, one of the other ways they did it is, is there was a year or two there where they actually said, we're going to have a, a portion of the draft where if you spent, we're not going to have to carry the guy on the major league roster, but if you spent over this amount on a guy. Harmon Killebrew was another one. That's a big one. But if you spend over that much on a guy, a bonus for an amateur, and you don't put them on your roster, You're they're right. all available. That's right. And so there was one year where the Dodgers lost essentially a minor league team full of talent hmm. because like there were 60 players who were drafted because it was like it was essentially let everyone else do the work, spend the money for you. This was right before the draft came in. Yeah. So then the draft came in to – but it that is was, a – That was another famous Dodger Rule 5 draft loss. Roger Roberto Clemente. Clemente. You know, and – but what what is amazing in some ways is that this is almost – like an appendix, yeah. it's a it's a vestigial organ or you know organ that is there that pr- that basically dates to when Babe Ruth was a child, right? And it's still around, and it's still around in some ways in the same form. You have the major league, the triple A, and the double the double A portion, the double A portion where you pay four thousand dollars. I. Again, we are talking about an industry now. Like you pay four thousand dollars. Indie ball teams can pay four thousand dollars for a player. Now, what would have that? That would be interesting. What if an indie ball team wanted to come in? And but, I mean, barged again, in. But do remember, we did have for a while there where it was there independent. There was a provision operators. they've taken away, yeah. but there was a provision that minor league teams could draft right. in the regular major league draft, and then teams did it, and they were like. We do not want exactly. to have this, you know, I don't want my fifth-round pick to be taken away because the Miami Miracle drafted them. Um, but and that was the team, I think. It was the Miami, Miami Miracle. Miami Miracle had a couple picks. That's right. So, but it is amazing that this continues, but at the same time, it also makes a lot of sense. It It is a competitive... That's why it has continued. Even though it is like a... a uh, what's the word? I, I'm, I'm just so tired. <laughs> The word, like, it's out of time. It's like an anachronism. Right. It's a total anachronism, but it still serves a somewhat useful purpose. And it actually, it, I, I mean, again, it is one of those very clever things. It is very incentivized to help, generally to help poor teams, teams that are bad, better than teams that are good. If you're rebuilding, it is much easier. I, I love what the Padres did last year. The Padres went out and got four Rule 5 picks. That's unusual. That's very right. unusual. They were rebuilding. Not all four stuck, but <coughs> I do think that Luis Perdomo is probably going to be the best guy to come out of long-term out of last year's Rule 5 draft. Which we thought. Going into the Rule 5 draft, we were like, this guy, if you the, carry he, was the, he was in the Cardinals' top 30, and I was like, wait a minute. He's low A, but there's stuff here for him to be a starter. And the ironic thing is, is now the much improved Padres farm system yeah. means that they have some guys that are out there I think Jimmy Brazoban right now is one guy who, like, it's hard to find warts in, like, okay, why wouldn't this guy get drafted and why wouldn't he stick with the team? Correct. No, I, I, you could do a whole podcast on Rule 5 draft history, and uh, it would have to be really a 20th oh, century Rule there, 5 there, draft there would be, there's, there's three downloads of this, all by JJ. <laughs> one of these days, we're going to have to have, like, the, the, the total history of the Rule 5 draft book forward by... Pat Gillick and uh, uh, and and uh, whereas Pat Gillick though, but while Pat Gillick has been involved in every Rule Four draft yes. that's ever existed, there is obviously no one who's been around for every Rule Five. 
Right. Yeah, there's no way. Not if it started in 1903. It precedes no the not Cubs' even Roland, last World Series. Not even Roland Heeman has been around for every Rule 5 draft. So uh, we will podcast again tomorrow to give you some Thanksgiving talk. We have to do an American League Central team. We might I, even we might even knock might out do a, two. We might knock out a couple, so we'll give you a uh, you know probably a Wednesday and a Friday. I even. think Ted Cahill and Josh Norris are both going to be here, and they did the Indians and the Tigers, and we just did Royals yesterday. We've done White Sox and Michaelana around for the Twins, so. Maybe we'll just do a little roundtable and uh, ask them all about their jokers. I was going to say we're going to we're going to line them up one or another because then we we got to you know that way we we keep we make three podcasts. Yes, exactly. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, if we don't record a podcast tomorrow, have a great Thanksgiving for JJ. I'm John. We'll see you the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.